A griot is somebody traditionally who would sit in the king's compound, especially those days we have the Mansas in the Mali Empire. And we have uh, Mansas like Mansa Musa, who are great kings, and Sundiata and all this. And the griot is the man who sits down there, who knows the history, who knows um, every single story that is important, relevant for that kingdom. That's the difference, that kingdom. Um, you have what they call Jalibas or Jalis. They are also storytellers, but they are musicians too. They are like what you might call your, um, your, your Sunday newspaper, your, your tabloid newspapers. Those are the Jalis. They go from house to house and they might pick stories here and there and they'll tell these stories. Um, but the Griot, on the other hand, is in the king's court. And he is like what, if you, if you might call him a newspaper, but he's also a critic. He gathers what all the tabloid newspaper are talking, puts it all together intelligently, and then presents it to the king. That's a griot. Today, we have griots who, have, who play music, but traditionally, griots did not play music. They would just tell the history. But today, they are, they've employed musicians to work with them and in fact many of the griots now actually play instruments. The one key instrument that griots will play is the kora instrument which is a 22 string instrument closely linked to what is um, what was in Abyssinia to the Ethiopia and so on but they used to be called the krar and so in the bible they talk about David playing the harp for King Saul what he was playing was the krar which which comes from that area. And the same instrument has moved right across Africa, and today we have it in the western part of Africa, um, within the Mali, or the Malinke people, and they call it the Kora. What up, what up? I want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel. I'm back in the kitchen. I'm whipping it up and I have a very special guest with me. My guy, we met at a business mixer uh, probably, what, a month ago? A little over a month oh. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny how we met because we was at the bar and he was like, you look like my uncle. <laughs> I was like, I don't got no family in Portland. Where you from, bro? He's like, well, I'm from Africa. <laughs> I think you said Gambia, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, and then we just struck up a conversation from there and uh, talked a lot about history, African history to be exact. And here we are, brother Sanaba Kuyate. Yes. Did I say it right? Let's you go. Got it right. Okay, <laughs> you yeah. Got it right. yeah. You got it right. Say what's up to the people, bro. Hello everybody. My name is Sanaba Kuyate. Hey. Um, I am from the Gambia, West Africa. Mm. So maybe a lot of people may not know or remember Gambia because it it is the smallest country on the mainland. The only countries that are smaller than us are the island countries of the mainland. So the Gambia was a former British colony, and it was the place where Kunta Kinte came from. So the movie Roots, a little bit, said a little bit about Gambian history mm-hmm. before Atlantic slavery, all the way to the beginning and to the end. Anyways, uh, that's a little introduction about me. I came, I've been living in Portland for the past nine years, about nine years now. And I met with, you know, Emmanuel, like, as he said, in that business meeting. 
and we had a great connection, good conversation. We met up later, and we decided to come from there. Yeah, to here. Just make it happen, man. So. Yeah. So I am really excited to be here. I'm glad that people are out here who are interested in stories like, yeah, you know, uh, us or you know, interesting stories that are, you know we're about to discuss here today yeah, about sure. history and culture and religion. Yeah, man. Yeah. Like, and, and just based upon what we talked about, I was just like, man, this has to be shared. Like, I love having these types of sure. conversations, uh, especially about Africa, because a lot of what we learn in America, of course, is watered down. It's from a white supremacist lens. And even a little bit that we have is still from folks that are here studying what's going on over there. But you have firsthand experience, firsthand knowledge. Um, so you're the second brother that I know that's from there, that's that's living here and is very well versed, you know. And so it's just like, all right, we, we got to do this. We got. Yeah, do this. I uh, I before, you know, I'm like any other typical African, you know, we most African countries like we all know, you know, just got their independence from the, you know, European colonization, which actually was like 50 years ago. Most African countries today, you all know, are less than 50 or, you know, they're young countries. So we don't know a lot. On paper. Yes, on paper. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. On paper. You know, what I mean by that is I because a lot, of, a lot of us actually don't believe in the borders that we have today because none of those borders were ruled when our people are sitting on the table. So it was really out of, you know, not for the for the interest of the African people. So the borders are basically ruled out for the interest of the European colonizers. So that being the case, a lot of us found ourselves to be, you know, caged in those borders. And we have, uh, you know, we are only, you know, exposed to, you know, things that they want us to be exposed to. That includes to lack of knowledge of the African presence outside of the African continent. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of African people don't know how much of black people are out outside of the African continent. In fact, the African continent is so big that we don't even know the, the next <laughs> door neighbor. You know, like I, I, I actually was born and raised in the Gambia. I've never been to any other African country. Mm. Gambia is the smallest country on the African continent. Mm -hmm. I don't even think about it because why? It's the one of the you know craziest things to think to do is to cross from one country to the other within the African country. Wow, it is difficult. You don't even, especially if you have a good or a service that you want to transport across a border. Mm -hmm. It is, a, it's crazy. When so, you say it's difficult, meaning like it's dangerous? It, not or... dangerous. Not dangerous. Corruption and all these, you know, different countries with their different laws, oh. you know, all have the immigration policies that you have to go by. Some of these, you know, you have to like bribe the officials in charge, you know. Even like a, you don't even, you're not even carrying anything with you. You just like, like I want to travel to Guinea, yeah. where my ancestry came from. Like about, you know, 400 years ago, you know, the 500 years, my people probably, you know, were in, in that area. But mm -hmm. when they came to the Gambia, you know, by the time the independence came, you know, in 1965, Gambia mm -hmm. became a country, our people were cut off with their other family members not in the Gambia. Mm -hmm. So it became so difficult to even pay the visit to these people. So it, at some point, it doesn't exist anymore. So mm. I know I have family members in many countries across outside of the Gambia. But you but can't just easily cross the quote-unquote border. border, the so-called borders, yes. Yes. which have now been established. Yes. That you guys didn't establish, but the yes. white supremacists. And, uh, yes. And the, the, the sad thing about it is, you know, you find nationalists, you know, that, you know, want to confide themselves with these borderlines as their mm -hmm. country and they want to keep all the African people from coming to these countries. So it's a mess. 
Yes. And we actually working to fix it because there is an African Union, mm-hmm. and the African Union is working very hard to make sure you know communication between these countries is easy because that's the first step we have to begin with yeah. if we want to progress. We have to make sure people are aware about their brothers next door and mm-hmm. they're aware about the surrounding. They're conscious of the surrounding. Most African con- people are not, and when we tend to come to America. We get blown away by what we see in America. The mm-hmm. amount of black people in America and the amount of black people who actually look exactly like the people we know back home <laughs> that even drive us crazy. You know, he was like, "Are you a, are you Mandinka?" I'm like, "I don't know, brother. Uh, I could be." He's you know, like, "No, nah, no, nah, you you Mandinka." I'm like, "All right." I've heard myself a lot of people. You know, many occasions, many people stop me and say, "Are you related to uh, uh, what's the name of the boxer, uh, uh, Floyd?" Floyd Mayweather, <laughs> you know, I'm like, how come? Do I look like him? They like, you look like Floyd Mayweather. I'm like, okay, all right. I can kind of see it, but uh, you know, I don't think so. Yeah, you know, I've never it. even looked at it. Uh, that's a stretch. That's a stretch. Right, but I can see a little similarity. So <laughs> that being a huge barrier when we come to America, so we kind of like begin it from fresh, trying to understand the society in America and how. People who look like us have been treated because most of us, I, I'm telling you, we don't know. So you said Africans do not know about, they don't know, they don't have a lot of knowledge about the transatlantic slave trade. Well, we don't. Modern day. We don't. Yeah. We don't know much about, you know, the the, the descendants of the, the the people who were taken away from the African continent today, mm-hmm. how they are doing. The social mm. media is helping now. Now we are seeing all the shootings, many other things that mm. happen. And a lot of Before people, social media, y'all no. didn't know. It's like in America, not people, you, you tell people about, yeah. people, you know, they, they don't believe everybody live in huts. Yeah. They don't there's no, yeah, there's yeah. no like, quote unquote, civilized people. Everybody is just offering themselves, walking around with hyenas and yeah. Yeah, so monkeys it, and stuff. It's totally, it, it's, a, it's a big deal. But today, it's helping because you know, we are getting to understand, and because we are having people are like also having conversations with people like you. Mm-hmm. Are you good? Don't worry about. It. You know, people like you, and and this is making things happen in a yeah. way. I think it's interesting. Yeah, and I've had like a few conversations with my guy Shingy. Shout out to Shingy. Uh, he's from Zimbabwe, and he came here, I believe, for college, and he's been here in America ever since. And um, like that was the first like I said you one of two people that I know that have like really good knowledge about African and the history and that can really speak to it and um and it's like we had that discussion about the disconnect between Africans and African Americans and I was realizing after talking to him cuz like in in America you're socialized to think all people of dark skin that are of African descent mm-hmm. you're black that's what we call you you're black that means you're all the same you think the same you act the same so we are Racist. We're socialized race in a racist way, and so we think racially. So if I see another black man or man of African descent, I think he's just like me. And so there's a disconnect between Africans and African Americans because in Africa, from how I see it, you guys see people. I mean, you guys see each other as like, all right, it's a different culture, different tribe. Like we ain't all the same, and it's not wrong. But in in America, we're like, nah, we all together. And if you don't see yourself like me. Something's wrong with you, and it's and just I think, like yeah. I think that's right too. That's that's a smart way to go around, you know, because in a world, you know, where you know branding and you know buying and selling is what is mm. what you know you know make the world goes around. Yeah, I mean, I think that our people of African descent, that's where we are lagged behind. We we we're not we cannot blame ourselves for it, but 
we have a bad branding, you know. The mm. Chinese branding is changing. Ch Chinese in the 1860s used to be, you know, very, you know, you know, discriminated against. But today, you know, nobody even think about discriminating against it. Well, there is, of course. But what I mean by mass part, scale, yeah. you know, yeah. mass scale and, you know, without the government to have, you know, taking a step has to do with because the Chinese, the brand of the Chinese is changing. Yeah. Because the Chinese is becoming an economic superpower. Yeah. And today, anywhere in the world the Chinese go, they feel secure. Because when you see a Chinese, you see the Chinese brand. Mm. As most, you know, so this is where the African people have to. When you see Chinese, you think of money, you think of. Right, economic right. Economic. Yeah. The European, they actually forced this in the throat of the world almost over 500 years ago. Mm -hmm. They forced their brand, even though within themselves they have a huge division that led to the First World War mm -hmm. and the Second World War. Mm -hmm. But despite all of these that killed many people, destroyed many things in the world, still now, when you see a European man anywhere in the world, you see him as progress and something not of like a threat to you, mm -hmm. even though you have no idea. So the African, this is where we are behind. We mm. never focus on branding ourselves as the people who are for progress, who are for economic superpower, who are for unity, who are for like, you know, entrepreneurship, thinking wise. You know, back in Africa, the African people and their governments are not thinking this way. Mm. We are focused on trying to look at each other as he thinks he's better than me because mm. that's the ideology we've been left with for the past 500 years you look at your brother when your brother is doing good he said he thinks he's better than me mm. you know oh you think you are better than me i'm better than you that is it we all focus and i'm seeing that we're, even yeah we're focused we're competing against each other yes for no good reason yes yeah. rather than having to focus on trying to build a brand for all of us who look alike when it comes to the skin color because it's because we've been dominated we've we, been traumatized we've been traumatized yeah. so we should be the people who actually learn from history more than any other people on earth but the african we're we traumatized behind. so yes. bad though you know so that's that's a part of i'm reading post-traumatic slave syndrome and that's a part of it like ptsd or ptss like when you have lowest low, low self-esteem or vacant esteem mm. you find all these material things to like make yourself feel like yeah. you have a piece of wealth mm -hmm. like you said the white person they branded themselves as we're wealthy we're clean yeah we're this we're that mm -hmm. and they've told us and put us in positions to reinforce what they say or what they've manufactured like oh well you're poor you're the, you're broke you can't obtain wealth you can never be on my level yeah and so we buy certain things or we do certain things that try to look like them they have a piece of what they have but we never truly have what they have. There you go. Yeah. And you see, even our wealthy people are most successful people when they go to places where they should be respected. They're not because people don't see their money first. They see the brand mm. that they carry naturally mm. with them. That is the, the black skin brand, the African decent brand. Mm. So let me say this. The moment a country in African continent, we have about 54 countries in Africa. Yeah. But out of these 54, there's huge countries that are like, big in size mm -hmm. like about the size of california and the whole of west Coast all joined together mm -hmm. you can have one country in africa let's say like sudan right now they're having you know political change mm -hmm. can you imagine the sudanese president who have been a president for over 30 years when he got arrested in his own home they found 130 million dollars cash wow cash when, when was this Two days ago, about <laughs> uh, about a week ago. Okay, okay. One Sudan is one of the biggest countries in Africa. 
for sure. And they're like black, where we all originated, t- typically. Yeah, for Even sure. Even the West Africans, that if you go back like thousand, over thousand years ago, mm-hmm. most of those originated from Sudan area, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Including the Mandingo people. But today, the, the country of Sudan, which is was pretty much ruled out by the British, mm-hmm. today, their president was arrested. He'd been power for 30 years. Mm. When the, he was, a, there was a protest that evolved. Mm-hmm. He was kicked out and they got him, the soldiers home, $130 million cash. Then how much would be in the Swiss bank? How much is in the bank if you found this man with $130 million cash in his home? Yeah. That's where the problem begins. That's wild. So we're not thinking like we should be thinking. But let's say if Sudan turned out to be something, a progress country where a country where every black person can go into and have the opportunity to economic progress, mm-hmm. but not only that, but Sudan standing in the wall is taking dictate certain prices of certain things. They're able to buy and sell certain things in a way that, you know, they became respectful and they, you know, flag, national flag and... No, go ahead. I'm, go ahead. Go okay. Ahead. Everything is out there. So what I'm trying to say here is if that happened and Sudan became an economic trading partner in the world, you will see United States, not only that, but other European or other Af- you know, countries that deals with or that have the descendants of Africans in their country will start treating their, those people right. Mm. Because what do you have here is economic You got to respect that money. Respect. The branding is coming. The money. Just one country. So that... So that leads me to I want so I want to start there um, as far as like we're talking about the history of Africa. I want to talk about the history of your people, uh, Gambia and, and Kuta Kente, and that story. But also I want you to go back and talk about how you said most of us, like the Mandinka and a lot of those that are in West Africa right now, they migrated from Sudan. So talk about who migrated from Sudan, why, when it happened, and then what kind of happened along the way once people got settled in West Africa. Yeah. So you know. Our history tells us that in the Sudan area, you know, about a couple of thousand years ago, West Africa actually did have some prehistoric people. But we don't know who are these prehistoric people because we have stone circles. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a stone circle is a prehistoric monument. Mm-hmm. Just stone like a circle, like a stone hinge type thing? Yeah, just oh. like a stone hinge. We have it, a lot of it in West Africa, especially to be specific, Gambia area. Mm-hmm. Okay, but... Who built this? That we we cannot we don't have anything in our history that connect a people to this to the stone circles. Okay. They was there when you guys got there. Well, I I cannot say that because you know to say it, even the coming of the people out there there are different tribes in the Gambia. Gambia is a small country and we have like six seven tribes. Mm-hmm. When we say tribes, there are people of different ethnicities and that have different of everything. The language they speak, mm. they call you and all that. Okay. All right. Yeah. So among all of these. There are some certain, you know, ethnic group, or we call it tribe, that are believed to be the origins. But even them, they themselves believe that, you know, they immigrated from somewhere. Mm. Okay. But this is like all based on oral history. There's okay. no written text of it. For sure. When the first Europeans came to the Gambia, they found the Mandingo people there. And when they found the Mandingos on the coast, the Mandingos stayed and told them that they paid tax to the king of Mali. And this was like, goes back to like... To king, old, king of Mali? The king of Mali. Okay, yeah. Means that the king of Mali... You know, you know, Gambia or even Gambia or Senegambia was a frontier for him mm-hmm. towards the Atlantic. Also, yeah, tell people where where that's what other countries border Gambia. Gambia is inside Senegal. 
Inside Senegal. In Senegal, well, some of us may know Akon. Akon is from Senegal. For sure. So Gambia is the country, little tiny country inside Senegal. Okay. So to say that the movement of the people from the Sudan to the West Africa, you know, is one of those histories that there's no written text of it. Mm-hmm. But if you connect the dots, you can tell that definitely, yes. Because if the major, one of the major, two major ethnic groups, the Fulani and the Mandinka, mm-hmm. I believe to be the major ones in that area, they have a, you can trace them back to that far, to the east towards Sudan. Mm-hmm. Based on the, you know, historic, you know, or some form of like a connection with the people that live in that area. What's the estimation of like how many years? How many thousand? Uh, we're looking at, because 1255 is the time the Mandinka kingdom came out. Mm-hmm. So the Mandingo Kingdom came out of uh, a control over another group that actually used to sell the Mandingos to the Arab tra- slave traders. Because you gotta remember the Ar- slavery or the capture of the Africans have been happening on the African continent for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Mandingo identity is a rebellion to that. To it, the Trans-Saharan slave Trans-Saharan trade, slave trade. Slave there trade, you go. Yeah. Now you have a name for it. Mm-hmm. That's a correct, correct name. <laughs> <laughs> Trans-Saharan I've learned that's what it's called. That's, that's what they call it now. So yeah, Trans-Saharan trade trade actually one of the reasons why many people move towards the West African coast has to do with it. Mm-hmm. A lot of these people were running away from when the Arabs, you know, forced you know immigrated towards the African continent and started capturing people and taking them. Yeah, you know. So that's how the, you know the most part of the North African towards you know Sudan area was. Settled by the Arabs, Word. you know, t- towards the Somali area. So, during this time, you know, a lot of things were happening. But before even this time, Alexander's, Alexander the Great's conquest also happened too. Mm. And that also kicked a lot of people out. So, there was huge evidence of movement from the east to the west. Mm. And most of the today, the modern tribes that you found have a connection to that route. Now, speaking of a migration from the east to the west it has been said that the original israelites when they were kicked out um after 80 70 when nero came in there and vespasian all them and the the hebrew israelites traveled from east to west ended up near the west coast in what was called the land of judah or land of judah or however it was however it may be translated to modern day and it was called negro land so it was kind of near like uh i want to say ghana and ivory coast area what do you say to that so those who like proclaim that the jews there was a large contingent of israelites or hebrews living on the west coast of africa in a in an area called negro land and or the land of judah you know i First of all, I I have a trouble. I, I'm I'm finding it very hard to believe this idea of the group of people created called that are special. You know, mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons why today black people fall and we're easily conquered is because we we believe this, you know, kind of things. Mm. All right, I came from a people Mandingo people. When Islam first came to us, it didn't come to us with force. Mm-hmm. All right, Islam find its way through trade, and we're able to, you know, convince us that they're good. And then we, we all the way down to the uh, mid, middle of the 1800s, there's still a huge chunk of the Mandingo people who are animist. It means that they don't 
still accept Islam as their major religion. They're fine with it around them, mm-hmm. but they don't want to be a Muslim. They don't want to be a Christian. They, they, don't, they don't practice. Yes. They don't want to be it at all yeah, yeah. because they believe that everything on this planet have a soul. So mm. you cannot select certain things better than certain things. Mm. The moment you start that you're going to go beyond to even selecting among human beings who is better than who. And the Mandingo ideology forbids that. Mm. So we, you, to us, the most important thing as a man is to be able to raise a family, period. So in some cultures, they will tell you God, all right? Mm. No, we say to be able to raise a family because if you can't raise a family, you cannot sustain, means you will die out. So when you die out, means all the hard works that your ancestors tried to survive through, mm. you let all that go away in vain. So that being the culture I came from, so I cannot connect myself to the idea of there are certain group of people that I created that are like certain special. Well, I'm just saying not necessarily do you, but like, is there, do you know, like from stories told from you to your family or what you studied, like is this what happened? Like the the Hebrew Israelites came all the way through from east to west, settled in this area. Like, are you, do the do folks in Africa talk about man back in the land of Judah? Man, that's where all the slaves came from. And they're the ones that got sent over through the transatlantic slave trade. It was only this group of people. It wasn't all of Africa. It wasn't Africans selling Africans. It was Africans selling Hebrews. Is that how you guys seen it? When no, it come to no, that? no. I think that's not true because uh, I, from my, my history, the history of my people, my people paid a huge price when you come to you know, Atlantic slave trade. Okay. One of the major tribes that paid a huge price were the Mandingo people. Okay. And which has, in fact, to do with before the Europeans came, mm-hmm. we built an empire and we stretched that empire. And this empire was based on trade of gold and salt. There was not even a single time that, you know, there was a human being sold from one place. That was the empire that, you know, built Timbuktu. Around what time? That started from 1255. Okay. And it, it started falling apart by the 1500s. And that has, when it started falling apart, has to do with the Portuguese influence. Mm-hmm. And the Portuguese funding of rebellions against the Mandingo Empire. Mm -hmm. And not only also that, but also the Portuguese themselves allowing or welcoming all the European powers like the French Mm -hmm. and the British and making deals with them by what we call cutting our lands into pieces and dividing among themselves. Right. And and putting us in a situation where we had to fight the Portuguese, the French, and the English, and also the other African tribes Mm -hmm. that have always lived in our in empire that we've created. So yeah. we became to be one of the major people that were captured. In my history, my own family history, there is stories, unconfirmed stories, because it's not written on papers, right, of right. our own people being captured and sold into slavery because we live on the bank of River Gambia. In the history of our existence in the Gambia, we never live more than 10 miles off the river. Mm. We always live a mile or five or less within. Mm. From the river sure. and in those days the rivers were the way that people come through to capture people so the people who live by the road are the ones that you know fall to be the victims a lot so i so i think, could be your cousin you definitely <laughs> yeah you definitely no seriously because i for came real from, like yeah, my, my hometown is in one of the most you know uh what we call uh uh wetlands you know when you come to rice cultivation so okay the exp- the experts of rice cultivation you can go all the way back to like the 1600s mm-hmm. all the all the way at a time when the first british you know settlers arrived in southern you know america where alabama and all that area yeah 
the first enslaved Africans that were brought there actually came from my area. They mm. were captured because these enslaved Africans were experts in rice cultivation. Mm-hmm. And because of this expertise that they have in, in, in that, that they've lived in for generations, mm-hmm. that created a huge value for them in the South and Alabama area where you know rice in cultivation is well known. So today, in my area, it's connected to the area in Alabama, Tennessee, where rice cultivation have been, where most slaves work in rice fields. Wow. And that's me. Back home, even today, mm-hmm. I am right. I all I know is I, I was born. I don't even know how to describe it. Okay, yeah, yeah. but when you come to rice cultivation in West Africa or mm-hmm. any part in that area, that's my people right there. Wow. So we have a huge connection there. In yeah. fact, there was one time, you know, like a, a, a advertisement for a selling of a slave that was slave ship that came from the Gambia, mm-hmm. in that area where rice most. People mm-hmm. out there are expertise in rice cultivation mm-hmm. in the 17, I think 1785. Well, I, I still have, I'll, I'll share that. I got to see that. Yeah, yeah I, I'll share it with you. It okay. says clearly that from the Gambia River, where the people in this area are expertise in rice cultivation. Mm-hmm. And this soul was made in Charleston, Virginia, somewhere around there. Wow. I saw you. Wow. Like a, so, a, they, so they were as strategic as to know who could grow what. And they're going to go to that Yes, area. so slavery was based, you know, when the Europeans came through the African, they, they, they penetrated the African kingdoms. Mm-hmm. They did not just jump and start capturing people and selling them to slavery. People mm-hmm. need to understand that it did not happen like that. It's mm-hmm. like it's all been planned, means they got in as traders. And in, at some point, many African kings, the Europeans were kneeling and begging them to do trade with them. Mm-hmm. So they came in respectfully. I won't be respectfully as traders, mm. and they were trading. In, a, in fact, they were begging to do trade with so let, these things. So let's go back to the where that where that trade and that that interest came. So you were talking about the Mandinka people, your people, that started your kingdom, started the kingdom back in the twelve hundreds, twelve fifty five, and then that grew into what the the Mali Empire or Ghana? Yes, the Ghana, Mali, Mali, okay, Mali Empire, okay. So when when Mali was expanded all the way to the River Gambia, mm-hmm. the fo- the first Portuguese traders came in the 1500, 1400s. Mm-hmm. When they came in, the Portuguese came through River Gambia, and they were begging, kind of like a it's not the chief we call them chiefs. The okay. chiefs were the representatives of the king. Okay. The king lives in Mali. Okay. All right. But at the 1500s, you know, 1400s, the empire is still there, but it's not too strong because trade to Timbuktu started falling. Because you got to remember, Timbuktu was like New York City. You know, it's where the economy is. And the routes to there means that the people in the empire will bring all the things they have to Timbuktu to sell it there. So So Timbuktu is like Wall Street. There you go. Mm. And it was the city where now people coming from all around the world, they don't just go to the empire and roam around everywhere. No, no, they don't do that. They go to Timbuktu and mm-hmm. stay there. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, there were laws that if you're an immigrant from other countries, you have much. And you but what, what, how did Timbuktu grow to be that world power? Like, why was everyone attracted to Timbuktu? Everyone was attracted to Timbuktu because you can get gold and salt at a wholesale price cheaper than anywhere else you can get it. Mm. And gold and salt is what runs economy. You gotta get the gold to supply the, uh, to pay the army, and also get the salt to kill 
you know, for when the armies get wounded, but also when you people get sick, and also when your food to preserve foods and all that. So salt and gold was the most important commodity in any empire. That's crazy. That's something we take you know? for granted for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We used to have two of these items in bulk, and we've had it for over three or four hundred years that mm -hmm. we control it the whole all around the world. You know, there is no known wholesaling place for this than Timbuktu. Mm. So if you are wealthy, you fund people to go to Timbuktu to buy this in ma in mass and bring it, and you retail it in your country. And so Timbuktu was the was the trading center for gold and salt. People came from all over the world. Yes. What what was the empire trading? So the empire actually, or what were they getting like in their exchange for gold and salt? So in the exchange for gold and salt is products. Right. You name them. Like you think about it today in America. You know, I, I want to say one thing. Hmm. A lot of us, and including I, believe that in fact, we were the first people who created an environment and protected it that promotes freedom of enterprise, mm. where no powerful individual will come to you and, you know, make you work for them. Rather, you can go and grab any little thing that you believe it, you can make something out of it mm -hmm. and sell it. Mm. So... In the, in the empire of Mali, people coming from all around the empire would bring in, because gold mines and salt mines are everywhere. Mm -hmm. You go and mine gold or a salt and bring it to Timbuktu, or you can sell this to your community merchants. Mm -hmm. And these merchants will take it to Timbuktu. When they get it to Timbuktu, and they will exchange this for any other products. Products like, like literally every basic living thing, like from combs to everything. Like mm -hmm. literally every, even fishing net. Fishing net today is yeah. believed to come from India. Like in the Mandinko, we call it, we call fishing net Jalo. Jalo, in the Hindi language, it's called Jal. Mm. So the Hindi merchants were the first people who introduced fishing net to Timbuktu. Wow. So most Europeans, in fact, were introduced to fishing net through Timbuktu because wow. they got it from they Timbuktu. They got it from the Indians. Yes, yeah. from the Indians, yeah, through Timbuktu because sure. Hindi merchants used to come there a lot. So during these days, the people will bring what they have and then sell it and they will pay tax to the king mm -hmm. because the king provide protection to them. Mm -hmm. In Mali, people were provided protection by the, you know, the, the, the king and also education was literally free because Timbuktu also serves as a hub for a meeting point where people, intellectuals from all around the world will come. Timbuktu was the place where people study you know, uh, uh, astrology because mm -hmm. you got to use the stars to be able to travel around the world in those days. You know, there was no compass. So that knowledge was very important. In so Timbuktu. once they got to Timbuktu, they would, they would be taught astrology so that they can, I guess, what, get back home and, and well, share with other people so they can come yes. trade and all that. Yeah. Yes. It's literally like teaching people how to GPS on <laughs> from Timbuktu. Because how yeah. did they break that down? Like that's that does like that is crazy. Like if people from all over the world were going to that place with no GPS, no Google Maps, just on foot with camels and donkeys. Like how did they do that? Okay, so the major two major routes is one through Egypt and one through you know uh, Morocco. Mm -hmm. This way to it. The one that goes through Morocco will take you to Europe mm -hmm. through southern Spain. Right. Which Moors used to control. Mm -hmm. The one that took through Egypt will take you to, you know, Egypt, of course, was usually used to be a major urban center in those in those times. Yeah. But through Middle East towards India. Mm. So it was East and the West. Yeah. And Timbuktu was in the middle. Yeah. 
so you can see you know where the businesses was coming from you gotta remember that in the 1400s when Mansa Musa was going to you know uh, Saudi Arabia for a pilgrimage like a Muslim pilgrimage mm -hmm. he went through Egypt mm -hmm. Egypt as a place where gold as is as important as everything else yeah. you know when Mansa Musa went down there he was able to use it bring down the value of gold for over 15 years yeah because he was he, giving it away. Yeah, he yeah. took so much gold there, so much that it was uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. So, that being said, those were the two main routes where people were coming to Timbuktu. And they were able to navigate back to where they came from easily without any trouble. So, and this has been happening for over 500 years. And their navigation was based upon? Stars. Stars. Astronomy. Or astro what is it? Astrology. astrology. Okay, astrology. Yeah, yes. So. Yeah. so, so it was that. Mm -hmm. It was in Timbuktu that... The Dogons actually are believed to be, you know, the ones actually who introduced that knowledge in Timbuktu. So talk to me about that. One of my, my partners, Jesse, had a question about the Dogons. So um, as far as your understanding, where did they come from? Um, what tribe and, and how did they introduce or how did they find out? How did they know the stars so well? So the Dogons are one of the small tribes in Mali today. Okay. They're mostly found in Mali, I think in Burkina Faso. Mm -hmm. some part of it mm -hmm. they're very small and uh and they're very resistant it means they're one of the tribes that does did not accept islam or christianity mm -hmm. most african tribes either gotta be a muslim or a christian mm -hmm. the dogons are not mm -hmm. the dogons are the ones that still keep their own ceremonies that connects them to the stars mm -hmm. which is very important so the dogons are believed to be a priesthood a priesthood, you know, that holds certain knowledge about stars. Yeah. In the ancient pharaonic, time, pharaonic times of either Egypt or Sudan, or all of them combined together. Oh, so they're the priests from Egypt. They believed. The, okay. Be, yeah, oh, wow. To be from a priesthood means they hold certain, you know, uh, 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 secretive, you know, power at one of the pharaoh's household. Or mm. one of the, you know, uh, uh, you can hold whatever name you want to give it to. But they're definitely from that part where, you know, it has to do with in ancient Egypt and their, you know, uh, understanding of the stars. Mm. So, so they were, so they had that knowledge back then. They've always had it. Yes. And then when they, when they dispersed and migrated west, they, they held on to it. Yes. So, okay. Excuse so me. this isn't, this isn't a recent. No thing no it, like it, they've it, had this knowledge for a long they had it for a long time okay. and they kept it to themselves and one of the reasons why you know they believe that they're not being conquered by any other civilization or any other cultures even the europeans is because they don't want to get rid of this knowledge mm -hmm. they don't want them the dogons don't mix up with even other african tribes mm -hmm. they don't you know recently they just they just not long ago made uh, they were on the headline they killed I think 130 Fulani men, they suspected the Fulani men of being involved in Islamic terrorism. Mm. So the Dogons, you don't mess with the Dogons when you come to like even your own spiritual identity or ideology to bring it to them. No tribe goes to the Dogons. So, so they like the North Central Island type. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, they, don't come over mm -hmm. here, bro. <laughs> yeah, they're like that. So, so uh, Jesse wanted to ask, like, what do you know about their philosophy, like their life philosophy? Um, they're not they're not religious as far as like there's no like you said no Christianity no Islam mm -hmm. nothing like that yes so what is 
their belief system or philosophy? So we will categorize them on the animists. So animists okay. means they give spirit to every in the, every living thing. Okay. They believe everything have a soul. Mm-hmm. From the plants to the animals to even the air itself, mm-hmm. which used to be very common. Yeah, yeah, very typical to many African tribes, pre-Christian or pre-Islamic. You know, African tribes. For we sure. all mostly are animists. Yeah. So the Dogons believe in all that. But I also think I don't know much about them when you come to like you know their spirituality. But I also think that their those celebrations that they do is also not just cultural, but it's more of a spiritual connection mm-hmm. that they found with themselves and the, you know some constellations in the sky. Yeah. And their description of those constellations is actually match exactly according to with modern science. Mm-hmm. So the Dogons have known things that modern science is just discovering recently. They've known that for thousands of years. Yes. Yeah. So that is put them to a, in fact not only that but the Dogon hieroglyphs have a very strong connection with the ancient Egyptian one mm. there's a lot of well similar. they were the priests yes yeah. so they come from the priesthood in one of the dynasties in Egypt mm-hmm. that they were either kicked out or they ran away you think they were a part of the 25th or you think they were way before the 25th you know I cannot really tell because even me I have you know I, I cannot arrange the, the dynasties how they came after each other without having to look them on the paper. For sure. But I don't know what part of these dynasties that the Dogon came from. But I surely, me and many other people out there believe that the Dogons definitely came from a secretive priesthood mm-hmm. of one of the you know dynasties out mm-hmm. there. For sure. Yes. So, man, that's heavy. So going back to Timbuktu, so they would teach people the astrology so that they can get to and from. And when folks were coming and you got people from all over the world, how did they trade if everyone speaks a different language? Right. So, okay. Very interesting how they do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Timbuktu, at the time of the Trans-Saharan trade, we call it. Mm-hmm. No, not the Trans-Slate. Not, not Trans-Atlantic, okay. but Trans-Saharan for sure. So, you, so, I think one thing I want to differentiate here is the existence of Timbuktu actually was a form of like a renaissance. The building of Timbuktu was a form of like a renaissance from the struggle that we've been in the hands of the slave raiders. Mm. So before we built Timbuktu, Mm -hmm. the Middle Easterns were coming and hunting the Africans down. And this goes back to the east coast of Somali, African country, like Somali today. One of the reasons today they will tell you one of the, you know, the Somalis, even their language and you know, many cultures on the east. I will not. I don't want to mention one specific culture, but many sure. cultures on the East African coast, mm-hmm. even their language, you know, like the Swahili, you know, and their cultures is very similar to the Middle East. It has to do with the influence that Middle East have in that part, mm-hmm. and they try to extend that to all the way to our part too, and our resistance to this, and now. The the, 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 the the tricks that we used to organize ourselves and build up a system out of that resistance and build up a city that ended up being envied by the same people who were coming to capture us. Mm-hmm. In fact, the same people ended up, you know, you know, embracing this way of life that we just started. Mm-hmm. Rather than having to force their ideology onto us now, they started negotiating or even like peacefully coming. So after you guys built Timbuktu in that renaissance they respected they respected us in fact just just because of how so what so what was done differently so that 
that made them come with, come with respect <coughs> as opposed to come with trying to steal people. What was done uh, different was Timbuktu was both uh, was built in a uh, pre-Islamic time okay. and ended up becoming the the center for Islamic teachings and learning, and not even a sword or one person was killed. Mm. Mostly when the Muslims conquered your city, it's usually through war. Mm-hmm. Like even you go to Constantinople, you know, and many other places. If mm-hmm. your city has been conquered because your city holds a certain value, when they come and conquer it, they usually do it through war mm-hmm. and then turn it around and make it what they want it to be. You, same thing applies to the Christians they'll too. They institute their religion after they. Yes. Yeah. Same thing applies to the Christians too. Mm-hmm. But the case of Timbuktu is different. Timbuktu definitely went through certain, you know, you know, uh, conquests and all that. But that was when it, it was built to be what it was supposed mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. after. And then people say, oh, it's beautiful. Oh, it's great in Timbuktu. Why don't we go and conquer it? And it's different empires try to do. Mm-hmm. But in many occasions, we repelled them out and then we took over control. But the Islamic teachings, the coming of it to Timbuktu has to do with they themselves saying, oh, wow, look at how great Timbuktu is. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just move in there and stay there and build this there? And most traders in those days, of course, are religious people like the Jewish merchants. Mm-hmm. Even the Jews were living in Timbuktu too. Mm-hmm. The Islamic merchants. Mm-hmm. So this huge merchant. When you say Jews are living there. Yeah. And this is what, 14 or 1300s? 1300s. Back then, were yes. they understood to be pale-skinned individuals or were these people that had brown or black skin? They they definitely brown, got to be brown-skinned, the Jews of the Middle East. Okay. So they're not like a white-skinned German Jew or Polish Jew today okay. we have. Okay, definitely. Just, just to be clear. Yes. Because when people hear Jews, you think of, you know, the Ashkenazi or whatever. No. The, the modern day, which is prominently white. No. So in those days, definitely, it, it, it could be, in fact, it, they can come in many, many, many states and call us because in those days, Judaism is not like a skin color base like it right, is today. Right, right, right. So in the 1400s, the merchant, Jewish merchants that would be living in uh, 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 in Timbuktu would be the same or connected to the Jewish merchants that live in Rabat, Morocco today. Yeah. Because Morocco and Timbuktu is probably like from, it's not far. Mm-hmm. All right. So you can definitely walk from Rabat to Timbuktu. It will take you probably three days on a camel. Mm-hmm. So in those days, there was a lot of Jewish population in North Africa, in Algeria and you know, uh, Marquez today, Marquez mm-hmm. is one of the oldest. Those were all, you know, settled with, you know, Jews for a long period of time until the French conquered there and all the whole mess started happening and for they sure. started running away. Mm-hmm. So definitely it's the Arab looking like Jews we're mm-hmm. talking about here mm-hmm. that once used to live in Timbuktu. That's dope. So going back to the trading, like they didn't, no one just spoke the same language. It wasn't like yes. everybody speaking English or everybody speaking Arabic. Yes. So how did, you know, those that were from Mali, from that and from Ghana, where West Africa or anywhere, how did anyone trade so with not speaking the same language? Most trades were based on scales. Okay. You know, wages and all of these was regulated by the state. Mm-hmm. And you the guidelines are av- available in every part of Timbuktu. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, if you are a merchant, you get to Timbuktu. You you don't just jump in and just start trading. No, you have to. There are laws that are put in place. Gotta remember the king, the Mali Empire was very organized in those days. Mm-hmm. So, the scales are everywhere. If you are a merchant, you don't speak you know the same language with your customers. You go by the scales, mm-hmm. and every product, the category of it, goes by a certain scaling 
you know, uh, uh, type that you have. Mm-hmm. For example, if you have a gold mm-hmm. and I have a salt and we are trading gold and salt, gold and salt are regarded in those days as the same value. Mm. So we measure them the same pound. We don't even need to talk. You put a scale in the middle, mm-hmm. you put your gold, mm-hmm. whatever amount you have, you put it on the scale. I put the same amount on the other side of the scale. And when salt. it balances, mm-hmm. yeah, salt. Mm-hmm. When it balances, you can see they're equal amount. You take my salt, I take your gold. We don't even need to speak. And most of these are usually done in public places. Even if we're not close to each other, then we will have a place in the middle where I'll be like a few meters away, you'll be a few meters away. Mm-hmm. I will come and put mine on the scale and may as well do what I need to do and then walk away and go, and go sit back in a few meters away. And then you come back, come also to the scale and check and do what you need to do and then go to your few meters away and stay. So mm-hmm. we don't even need to talk. Mm. So it all based on scale. Mm-hmm. So and everybody knows about these guidelines. Yeah. If you have a f- bread, I have a, a, a rice and those are also regarded as same category. So we measure the same way. Mm. So it's usually done by, like that. But if you have a goal, you needed rice then that's a different category that we need to go by. Mm. And that's also regulated by the state. So mm. it was like that. So it was it was very clear. like Very it wasn't, clear and organized. Mm, so that's why everybody came. It was yes. clear, organized, yes. and they could just make it happen. And the police were patrolling everywhere. You yeah. remember, the, the, it was, the city, in fact, was built out of policing, you know, and controlling mm. the business route, mm-hmm. making sure nobody, you know, you know, do any illegal stuff or disobey the law. Mm. So law and order was the law. I mean, the the, the the way of life. Dope. That's that's dope, man. Let's take a little turn, man. Um, one thing, like I was alluding to earlier, is in America, uh, everything is about race. Unfortunately. Yes. This is, this country is founded on race, and and uh, racism is older than the country itself on paper. You know. Uh, so, how is race dealt with? in Africa. Is race a thing? I, 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 you know, it's a very, I, I, most African people love white people. I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> first things first. We gotta get this. Yeah, we, we gotta get Africans this Africans love white people. You know, uh, in, in fact, uh, <laughs> Why? Why do you all love white people? It, it's it's because of, 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 of most Africans are very unconscious about it happening around the world. Okay. Most Africans are very unconscious about the history mm. of the African, what we call, in fact, when I went to school, I learned something called Africa and the wider wall in and high the school. wider wall? Yeah. What does that mean? Wider wall, like the wall, mm-hmm. Africa and the wider World, mm. oh, wider world. Okay, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. So it means the in the interaction that happened between the African people and the outside world, mm-hmm. the negative parts of it, you know, how detrimental was that interaction to the African people today, mm-hmm. and and the good sides of it. Mm. There is more negative than the bad, or and, and sorry than the good. Sorry, but most African people love white people. Like I am, this is this is the truth. So it, 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 I, it's not because they know that what their history was. They don't know too much about. Colonies. No, they don't. They don't. They don't. And there's nowhere in any African country or any African system where it teaches them about 
that part. Okay. In fact, Africans are even embracing Chinese language right now. You go to many African countries, they're speaking mm -hmm. Chinese. Okay. You know, that also tells that if you've been... I don't want to use... If you've been... Like our history is, we've been really bad mm -hmm. the past 500 years. Mm -hmm. We should be the one not to open arms easily to people coming from outside. Right. Okay. Yeah. We should learn. But we don't... We have... we African people... We love white people, and that's the truth. And one of the reasons why we, you know, <laughs> no, because I see it everywhere. You know, I go back home. I see people. You know, everybody. If you don't speak e English right, they think you know you're stupid. Even though you could be as smart as hell. Yeah. All right, because yeah. you don't speak the foreign language right. Right. You regard it as somebody who's stupid. All right, you got a good qualification, let's say good skills. Mm -hmm. You go and look for a job because you don't speak English right. You're very likely going to be denied of that job. Nobody will mm -hmm. be interested in you. Mm -hmm. All right, not only that, you go. Our, our, it's a very, okay, we don't know much about race. So you guys don't know much about race. We don't. The, the reason why I asked that question. Most. Yeah, most folks. The reason why I asked that question, another listener um, Priscilla, shout out to Priscilla. She said, you know, there's a lot of talk about black Americans migrating back to Africa. How will we be welcomed? You know what I mean? Like, will we will be welcomed with open arms. Will they say, oh, that's they're black like I'm black. And so is it are they looking at it as black? Or are they looking at us as a, a different tribe? No, no. In you know fact, what I mean? In fact, you know, most African people, I will repeat this one today. Most African people love black America. Okay. And the funny thing about this is you go to Africa, one of the most influential culture in the younger African population is the black American culture. And sure. this is fact. Yeah. From the music to the dressings mm -hmm. to the way even people think, talk. When I was going to high school, I wasn't interested in talking like George Booth. I was interested in talking like 50 Cent. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact. That's a big that's fact. That's a fact. Like, yeah. that's, that's like, even today, my younger brothers, they're like that. When I talk to them, they expect me to talk like like black America. Mm -hmm. They don't expect me to talk to them like proper English and all that. No, yeah. they're like, no, talk like a black America, man. Yeah. They like it. And this is the truth. Even me, I love it. I yeah. love the accent. I love everything about black America. Right. And the history. One thing I'm afraid of and most Africans are afraid of, and one of the reasons why we don't want to be, you know, when we come to America, we're actually tired of bullshit already. All right? What do you mean? What I mean by bullshit means that we, I don't want to be around people that, you know, will make me get into, you know, fighting. For example, mm. let's say, when we go come to America, we don't really care whether it's black neighborhood or white neighborhood or Mexican neighborhood. We look for an area where we can go and work and get money and help our family back home. That's it. it. Yeah, just, that's just, it. Just, it's a business transaction. Yeah, that's yeah. it. All right. My business. So when we come to anywhere, we one of the major things that most Africans do before they move to any place, they make research about that specific city. They make what? The research. Okay. The good part and the bad part. For sure. And we all tend to be fall for victim of that where. There's the already red tips of which part of the yeah, city is you, good, which yeah. part of the city. Because before I already came here, there's already red tips in Portland, mm -hmm. you know, where it tells you where not to go and where not to be around and where, and all that. What year did you come to Portland? I came about like 2011. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. So was still in those, yeah, that was red tips everywhere, even yeah. though I spent most of my time in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. But the red tip talk to me that 
don't go around not ease if you want to stay away from certain type of violence mm-hmm. or certain type of things. Mm-hmm. Even though I ignore that completely, all right? For sure. But most Africans don't, mm. all right? So, so they then, believe. yes, then they will also, because they want to be safe and they want to get up and walk, they're always receiving phone calls from their family back home. Hey, you're in America. Hey, you're in America. That make them think like, okay, I don't want to screw anything up here. Even if a white person come around, you don't even find white people, white people here in America. I don't mm. have any white friends. Mm-hmm. Because I'm always looking at if what kind of white person is this? Is it into drugs or something? You know what I mean? <laughs> you see? So, yeah. so when I meet a black person, which I always most of my friends are black people here, but I screen you too. Mm. You know, I screen you in the sense that I want to make sure. Okay, I want to be friend with you. You are a brother, okay? You and I. But I don't want to be with you and the next minute somebody jump into me and thinking <laughs> that I'm doing some transaction with you. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So I screen you in the sense that you know. I want to make sure, you know, you're somebody that I can be proud of being a brother to. Word. You know. Which is, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. Because all skin folk ain't kin folk. And not even say skin folk ain't kin folk. Like, just because somebody has the same color skin don't mean y'all have the same values. There you go. Don't mean our, we're automatically the same. There you go. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So, when we come to America, we found ourselves being discriminated against. Mm-hmm. And... You know, we definitely want to find a community to connect to that looks like us, mm-hmm. so we can together because we understand that only togetherness can. But what know. about when we go over? That's what Priscilla's asking. Like, if we go to Africa, we go to Senegal, we go to Gambia, are we gonna be welcome with open arms? Are we gonna? Is there gonna be any injustice against no, us? No, no, because we're American. No, no, no. We're fact, seen as bougie or whatever the case might be. You definitely have a work to do. It means to educate them to make them understand that you probably you're not as wealthy as they will think. Oh, they think everybody rich. Right? Yes, yeah. yeah, that is the and part. And we probably are in comparison to the rest of the world. Yes. Like we got to be real as Americans. Yes, right? yeah. that is the part that you definitely will work on to educate them about. For sure. But when you come to like, everybody will want to friend you. Everybody will want to be with you. Everybody, in fact, you will be very well welcome. Like I grew up, one of the most important events in my childhood was the Roots coming home. Roots homecoming is when Hundreds to even thousands of African Americans travel to my country every year. Mm. From 1975 mm. to today, it happens. All right? So, when the movie Roots was out, mm-hmm. so it's one of the major important, you know, events in my country. So, I've grown up as a kid. So, wait, every- why did, why did, oh, because Roots was about Gambia? Well, Kuntikinta's history and Kuntikinta. family and all that is For Gambia, sure. you know. Okay. But yeah. it, if you put in a general time, the same story you can relate to every other country in Africa, For sure. you know, during slavery, yeah. you know, but the most important part in many people I know that I grew up with or any many people around my area is when black Americans are coming home to the Gambia to visit their homeland. That is one of the most interesting part time in my country. Mm-hmm. Everybody's out and happy. You want to have a black American friend. You want to, you know, you know, hang out with them. You want to sort them out food. Mm-hmm. You want to tell them about our history. You want to tell them you are from here. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been stolen away. It's like one of the, it's a it's a family reunion. It, it is. It yeah. is. It is a big deal for us. So yeah. with all the on educations that we have, that part, you don't I don't think African-Americans have to at all worry about it. In fact, Many African countries will take you if you want to go there. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm telling you. They, because they, they look at you as a valuable asset. Or, yeah, man. I mean, I, I remember when I, it wasn't that long ago, the, uh, it was like the, the year of the return. Ghana has stated that 2019 is a year of the return. And then so for Christmas, 
um, they had a lot of Hollywood celebrities go out there for the, it's called the Full Circle Festival. Have you heard of that? No. It was, they, they just had it in Ghana. And so it was beautiful to see. And it wasn't the first time I've seen people like visit Ghana. I actually had a friend of mine. She, um, she did like a fellowship out there for her school. And like, you know, she's taking pictures at the, I think it's called like the, is it the Gates? Not the Gates of No Return. Um, it's like the little the, island. Yeah. The, you, you know what it's called? Castel Armino. Some, yeah, exactly. Armino, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she took pictures there, but then it was like on social media, so many people taking pictures and videos and, you know, just feeling the emotions of what it is. Like our ancestors, they was there, but like to see, so basically what I'm trying to say is like to see folks go back to Ghana and just get immersed in that culture for like a few days and just celebrate and just look so free and so happy. It's like, yo, I got to taste that. Like, I need that. You know what I mean? I need that experience. And I just looking at that, I mean, it's, it could be just a good advertisement, but I see it as I think we would be accepted. And just hearing what Akon, what he talks about, mm-hmm. and he's like, yo, there's so many business opportunities for us in America. Our money goes a long way in Africa. So like uh, black Americans, we can take our money set up businesses in Africa and certain countries and they'll welcome that, especially Ghana. Like they'll welcome yeah, that. Yeah. 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 In fact, you know, it, many African countries, especially West African countries, Nigeria, Ghana, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Gambia, and even Senegal mm-hmm. encourage that nowadays. Yeah. They encourage African-Americans to move down there and invest. Yeah. You know, I think African-Americans, you know, you, you know, it's true. The, the history of all of us, you know, it's very painful what mm-hmm. we went through. But mm-hmm. when we talk about today, the present day today, this modern world today, America plays a very huge important role to the progress of the world today true there's some stuff not only some a lot of stuff going on in here Mm -hmm. but i think if black americans weren't you know here this country wouldn't be great so oh that's a fact yeah yeah so like there ain't no sports okay there ain't no music there you go not only that not only entertainment we're not not even talking about that the wealth of this country the, the wealth that make america america Oh, that that funded the, America to yeah, yeah that funded sure. America to you know uh, uh, take a stand against the British rule, you know out of the whole of the American continent there is a lot of other colonies like the, you know from the north to the south, mm-hmm. but how did America become so substantial out of all of this? It has to do with the African Americans' participation. In fact, the Africans. Yeah, to say that. Yeah, the yeah. Africans. Well, the reason why I don't want to get rid of the African American part is mm. I think. It will be very unfair for anybody to t- say, oh, you go home, go home, go home, then forget about America. Mm. I think that will be the biggest mistake that any black person in America will do. You have two home, means you have two advantages, and you should enjoy all of this. Mm. You should not choose one for the other. The reason why is if you have two home, when one is messed up, you still have one left, right? Mm-hmm. When all is messed up, then okay, fine. But, you know, being an African American, I think you should, you know, embrace your African ancestry. You should go to Africa and invest there and be part of there and, you know, enjoy everything about Africa and if I claim ownership of things down there. Mm-hmm. But also then let 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 that make you let go of your American, you know, uh, 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 privileges. Oh, we ain't never gonna let okay. go of our citizenship. All right. I think that's a very important. And I'm gonna part. be yeah. I'm gonna be categorized as black until I get my reparations. So yes. yeah, we got. We, I'm gonna keep on to. I'm gonna hold on to my citizenship. Yeah, I think you, you, you yeah you keep holding on to that because yeah. it's it's important when you come to like 
thinking of like how this you know what you you know ancestors went through to build this great country you know what i mean mm-hmm. that alone you know i think yeah i feel that so i that that's interesting that you say that though that you know we have two homes because a lot of us don't feel that way um let's let's speak about and it's because of the resentment because of lack of knowledge right mm-hmm. so um going back to the transatlantic slave trade and going back to what i was saying like some people say it wasn't africans selling africans it was africans selling hebrews or selling jews or whatever the case might be and others just say it was africans selling africans and some say well they didn't know what they were doing you know they were just whatever they just got taken advantage of by uh the europeans what happened with the transatlantic slave trade who profited who knew what was going on why were people selling each other why were tribes warring with each other and then selling other people like what happened man? in a whole lot because you said they came respectfully at one point in time the europeans came to timbuktu they came to trade they were coming bowing down on one knee king will you please trade with me and then they came to man now they're just taking advantage of us and you know now we're selling each other to to them. What happened, man? It all happened. So, Africa as an as a continent, let's say Sub-Saharan Africa. Mm-hmm. Sub-Saharan Africa is, excuse me, good. Sub-Saharan Africa is the part of the African continent that is below the Sahara, and it has more of like a black uh, African population. Mm-hmm. In that part, there is over five thousand ethnicities or you call them tribes mm-hmm. just like every other part of the world you go to europe you have the british and the, and the english and the french and all that the dutch and the german same thing mm-hmm. we have same things happening in those days now before the portuguese there was no known european power of course, the Roman and the Greeks did, but that's of a different time and different, you know. But we're reason. talking about yeah, what thirteen, fourteen hundreds? Yeah, like the fourteen okay. by the fourteen hundreds, fourteen fifties. The Portuguese. Was the, the Portuguese main was that because of the Moors? Well, no, the Moors were in Spain. Yeah, so in Portuguese actually Portugal was one of the first territories that gained their independence mm-hmm. of the controls of the Moors. Okay, so they they already got free. Yes, they okay. already built their country. You know, Spain was still under the control of Moors, mm-hmm. and even though not all of Spain, but the Kingdom of Aragon and Castile are all independent on their own. Okay. So within Spain, there was different kingdoms that were completely independent, and they don't, in fact, could be even fighting each other. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fast track that to the uh, faster one. When the Portuguese force came in 18, uh, 1450s, this guy named Alvesco Cadamosco. Okay. Portuguese guy. Mm-hmm. He was sent by the Portuguese, you know, the king of Portugal under the command, under the control of the uh, Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Alvesco Cadamosco came, and when he came through River Gambia, he met with the Mandingo people already, you know, progressing and doing trade on the river within themselves and other ethnic groups. And the river was there were boats you know running around everywhere so according to the portuguese account mm-hmm. he asked the people who is the king because there got to be a rule a law and order here for these people to live like this even mm-hmm. not in portugal they were living like that's, that that's how he's seen it yes 
for sure. And then he was told that it was the king of Mali. Mm-hmm. The king of Mali. So, but now the Portuguese already know another route through to Mali, and this goes back before the the the, the, the visit of you know Alvico Caramosco came through the the sea, the west coast, but the Trans-Saharan trade is different. But you can also get from from Spain mm-hmm. to you know of course you can sail around. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, not even sail, but you can use the camels. From Portugal, you you can you know use whatever material go through southern Spain and cross through Algeria. I mean, it's Morocco and come through to the Sahara to Timbuktu. So there's an, a history and account at the time Timbuktu was on its peak. Mm-hmm. Portugal was there mm. as a trading partner. In fact, tr- Portugal sends merchants to Timbuktu to do trade as a state. Okay. With the state of Mali. And this was like before 1490, 1450s. Okay. This goes back to like the time of even, they believe, before Mansa Musa. Oh, wow. All right. Some say even, in fact, Mansa Musa himself did trade with the Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And Mansa Musa was in the 1350s. Mm. So, go back to 1450s, 100 years or 200 years later, about almost 150 years later. Mm-hmm. This guy, when he discovered that still the king of Mali was in control of that part, then he later understood that, in fact, it was through the Mandingo people that he sent to conquer that part of, and find a frontier, mm-hmm. you know. So he understood all of it. So he built up a trade between the West Africa to Gambia with the Portugal, Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And then he expanded that to Castel Almina. So when he go, went beyond Gambia River, and then he ended up realizing that the, the authority of the king of Mali ends there. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, there was no bigger power that controlled. But he also found out that there was a bunch of smaller, smaller, smaller kingdoms mm-hmm. that have a large amount of gold with them. Mm-hmm. That's where Castle and Mina in Ghana was built. You have the Akan people in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at Ghana today as a country, time of the you know, Portuguese in the 1450s, it was a bunch of small, small, small kingdoms of different ethnic groups today in Ghana. Mm-hmm. So when this guy came and he found this out that these people were not strong, they don't even have the modern weaponry. That's when this information was shared hmm. back with Portugal. So, it, so they... They seen that Mali was this big, strong, safe place. Yes. Um, that no one could really infiltrate. Yes. But they seen all these other kingdoms yes. around there. Yes. Beyond Mali. Beyond Mali that had a lot of gold. Yes. But they didn't have big armies. Especially Ghana. In fact, you got to remember. Ghana. I so how did they, did they, were there, I mean, they had to have some type of wars between each other or some type of conflict or how did they protect themselves? So these kingdoms were so desperate for external trade. Mm-hmm. These kingdoms have been existing side by side with each other probably like three or four or even more hundreds of, hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, okay. Without an outside uh, uh, touch. Mm-hmm. The only outside exter- uh, power they, they, they know is their neighbor Mali. And Mali was never interested in conquering them because Mali itself was more of like a hegemony of the Mandingo people and the Mandingo people don't want to conquer anymore. Mm. They've had enough land that they can create around Timbuktu and create a law and order. So everybody had enough. 
Yeah, yeah everybody, had, everybody had enough. Everybody they was good enough. where they was at. Yes. They didn't lack anything. Yes. They but, just they would go to Molly to trade. Yeah. And that was that was Wall Street. Yeah. But then they go back home. They go back home and they they, they and they relax. Yeah. Okay. Each of these smaller kingdoms, their kings will their smaller kings will send their merchants to Kimbuktu to sell gold and come back with come back. products mm-hmm. and they live in a lavish lifestyle. Living you have a, yeah, you have yeah. a kingdom of like probably like twenty thousand people. A city state. So you didn't have you didn't have Mansa Musa going down to these smaller kingdoms no, trying to Mansa Musa conquer fact, them. No, he's he only chilling. interested in you bringing your gold and selling it to Timbuktu and because they was with getting their cut. Timbuktu, yeah. Mali was getting their cut regardless. Yes. Okay. okay. So Mali don't want to even come and kill your people. Right, so the so the Portuguese Damn. see all these vulnerable kingdoms with all in these Ghana alone in, in Ghana, the fourteen fifties to the fifteen hundreds for sure. There is almost close to hundred city state kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine in a small land filled up with gold underneath, mm-hmm. but with almost hundreds of city-state kingdoms, like small little town mm-hmm. with their city center mm-hmm. and where their king lives, and the rest are people, they all speak the same language, mm-hmm. probably they're about like five, ten thousand people, that's it. Mm-hmm. And their next their neighbor is the same way. They speak, you know. And they so got all that gold. When the Portuguese came, they came from Europe at a time that Europe was poor, disease and starvation and mm-hmm. homelessness and mm-hmm. all kind of crazy shit was happening in Europe. <laughs> when the Portuguese came and they passed Mali, they see how law and order and everything in the society of Mali belonged to the coast of the Gambia, River mm-hmm. Gambia, was organized. Even kids on the street were reading and writing in the Arabic text. The Portuguese in Portugal, only the monks can read. Even the merchants who came, they cannot read and write. They don't know. They mm-hmm. don't know how to read and write. Mm-hmm. The monks back home in the churches were the only one who can read and write the Latin text. Wow. That was it. That was it. So when they got into Mali, they were blown away. Mm-hmm. When they got into, in fact, Gambia area, they were blown away what they saw. But they passed beyond, and they only seen this lavish kings with their city-state kingdoms. They mm-hmm. were like, holy, we have guns, and they don't even have, they have bows and arrows mm-hmm. with a bunch of gold. Mm-hmm. Castle Elmina, Castle Elmina, the, the castle you were talking about where they went and the people went and take pictures of, the door yes. of no return mm-hmm. was built the by the, the no return. yes, was built by the Portuguese in the early 1500s. When Alvesco Caramosco went back home to Portugal, mm-hmm. he explained in details the vulnerabilities of these smaller kingdoms in the present-day Ghana, which was later co- previously called Gold Coast by the British. Right, the Gold Coast. That was the reason why they called it Gold Coast. Yeah. The British got most of their gold from Ghana. Yeah. Today, England is one of the, the Bank of England have more gold than any other bank. You know mm-hmm. where they got it from? From Ghana, from Ghana. The, the former colony of Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. Okay, this Ghana Gold Coast used to be controlled by the city states. Mm-hmm. Like that's where you have the King of Asante, who, who still sits on a golden stool. Mm-hmm. You know, you have this gold as a huge, you know, you know, symbol to the, those city states. The Portuguese came there by the 1500s. They built the castle, and the castle was purposely, literally, what they built it as a form of like a. Because the people out there, the king didn't have like, didn't invest in infrastructure. Mm-hmm. The Portuguese came with the technology they have from their Roman ancestry and all that, mm-hmm. and they had were able to get the materials to build a castle. Mm-hmm. They did. It. They built it on the coast of Ghana, mm-hmm. and that's when at the slavery began. Slavery began there. It was started by the Portuguese the because no they saw the vulnerabilities of this small kingdom. So now they came and meddled. 
when they came, they meddled between these smaller kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the smaller kingdoms are desperate to do trade with outside. Portugal, Portuguese brought a lot of products. Their merchants would brought products like mirrors, like many other, you know, small, small cups, you know, mm-hmm. you know, cooking pots. They mm-hmm. call it calera. Today, most African tribes use cooking pot, like the aluminium one, mm-hmm. because the Portuguese merchants were the first that brought it, and they call it calera. Mm-hmm. So even the Mandingo people today, we call it calera. Mm-hmm. We had our own cooking pot, but it was made out of pottery, like pot. Clay. Not, not clay, mm-hmm. not you know aluminium. Yeah. Because even today, clay is believed to be the safest form of you know cooking pot. Okay. It's scientifically proven. Not aluminium is all you know being stuffed in it. Yeah. So, but that's where the relationship is. So Portugal meddled. The British and the French actually were catching up because they came about a hundred years or more later after Portugal. Mm-hmm. Already Portugal already filled up Brazil. Mm. You understand that? Yeah. When Portugal was meddling between these smaller kingdoms, actually they didn't only stop there. They went by the coastline. If you start from Portugal, you look at the African map, you see where Portugal is. You mm-hmm. think of somebody getting on a ship and just going by the coastline of the mm-hmm. African continent. You see how huge of a margin he's going to go from Portugal to Mozambique, mm-hmm. the, old, the last colony of Portuguese colony. Mm-hmm. Mozambique, that's around the continent. You will have to go around to South Africa. That's like... Going from Canada, Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. all the way to Buenos Aires in Argentina, and going around Argentina to the coast towards Peru. That's crazy. That's without the Panama Canal, you will not be able to do. You will not be able to cross through in Central America. You will have mm-hmm. to go, go do that. all the way around. Yeah. That's a huge long distance. So they were. So they did that. They came through. Um, you said they were meddling with the smaller kingdoms, so they were kind of starting little conflicts, yes, right? Little conflicts. Mm-hmm. And they so, brought, what happened from those conflicts? Like, how did like the conflicts happen and then what? They will sell materials and weapons to both kingdoms. So they sell okay. So they just like they do nowadays. So they sell to both sides. Yes. Okay. That's it. That have always been the case. That the trick. Mm-hmm. Sell it to both sides, mm-hmm. but you don't do it at the same time. Sell it to the weaker one first. Mm. When the strong one saw the weaker one have army, the strong one, what the hell? How crazy, how dare you do? You pick up arms against are you trying to find me? You who sell you this arm? And mm-hmm. I try to also forego and find arms, or even try to attack you to take those arms from you. Mm-hmm. And that's where the conflict became. And then mm-hmm. I'm desperate, I need an arm, and the Portuguese came and they gave me the arm too. Like, oh, no, we, we need guns? We yeah. got guns? So they were literally selling arms. Okay. To the African tribes have been involved in arm buying and selling mm-hmm. for over a hundred years before slavery began. In fact, one of the reasons why slavery succeeded much is because most of these city states' kingdoms were armed with. You know, guns, guns. Mm-hmm. and not to point against the people who sell the guns to them. They were pointing against their neighbor that they have been in rival with for a long period of time. Now, how did you know these Portuguese were able to get slaves out of this? Well, if two kingdoms go to war, they ended up having prisoners of war. Mm-hmm. If you were out of war, you don't have anything left. You need to feed your people. As a king, the one of the most important thing, you know, after a war is how you're going to survive. You're going to make your people survive after a war. Mm. All right. So what do you do? You sell whatever you can to get food on the plate for your people. And I think, and I believe this is where most slaves that were transported from in that part, many part of the African place where these wars were happening. Mm-hmm. These slaves, and slaves, I don't call slaves, and slave Africans were actually products of prisoners of war. Mm. You right, sell so a were, prisoner yeah. so you can get money to feed 
the rest of your kingdom because at the end of the day you don't want to keep those prisoners but you don't also want to kill them like right. you know more than them like but if you if you had your own kingdom and then you destroy some other kingdom and you got these other people they're prisoners of war but they're in your kingdom yes so you got to feed them you got to feed them so some kings many kingdoms in fact did this to you know double up the po- their population Mm-hmm. means to assimilate the other kingdom. In fact, there's a lot of stories of those where these wars happen not because of trade, mm-hmm. but because they want to double up their population. Awesome. You want in Africa, you have countries smaller than Portland because there are tribes that are like five thousand people that nobody even know about. Like they, their language is so unique; only five thousand people speak. I'm talking. I'm saying like this like hundreds or even thousands of these small kids. So if all of these tribes want to have their own countries where their language and their culture will remain the major one, you will not be able to choose a country to go to in Africa because we have more than 5,000 tribes in existence. And most of these tribes in existence want to have their own way of life, their own country, their own system. Mm-hmm. So you can see the struggle we are going through within, mm. you know, identity. And it all not because how we look, it's because of you know, how we do certain things in certain ways that have been transmitted to us for generations and we want to keep that way. So we, it's like, so we basically got manipulated, allowed ourselves to feed into the conflict that was being stirred up by the yes. outsiders. Yes. And we think and we arguing with our brother or with our fellow, whatever, African, or we, I mean, but they didn't see each other that like Africa. It was just like my kingdom and your kingdom. So I'm arguing with my neighbor, but it's somebody from a whole nother area that's yes. coming here starting in this fact, argument in my neighborhood. Pan African ideology is the one that today is bringing all African people together mm-hmm. to fight for one cause. And that started in the 50s. Mm-hmm. There could be a history of it, maybe before in the 50s that it may have existed but not upon the because in before the fifties there there is no power on the Tom African Garvey. Well Mugabe actually no. Ma- no, Mark, Marcus Garvey. Oh yeah, Marcus Garvey. Yeah, sorry, for sure. Me. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that that was of course of not in the on the African continent. So right, right, right. It was outside. So but on the African continent, the Pan African movement or ideology started in with a, with a, a, a Go, no, I, I want you to talk about that because um, there are folks that are of the mindset to say that Pan-Africanism is only an American thing where we're reaching out to for and we're fighting for our brothers in Africa. It and, could be and, true. And we don't see the Africans fighting and reaching and doing whatever they can for us. You and know, that's how a lot of American descendants of slaves feel. I, you know, it. This could be the case. Okay, it, it could be the case. I tell you, before most African countries have their independence. Mm-hmm. Yes, there were movements in many African countries that want to claim, but they usually tribally based. Mm-hmm. Like me, I came from the Mandingo people. I always feel like you know. The British or the English have no right to come to my land and impose their language and their culture on me because I see my culture is already there. It's been intact. It have always been. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather, you know, work on fixing that than, you know. So in the 60s, 50s, there were people like Sekou Touré, you know, in Guinea, 
that completely was against any form of like alliance with any European power. You know, you've had many, you know, like, you know, uh, even, you know, or many African countries where they have people like that. But it was not at any point where all African people look at each other and say, we are one and we are all facing the same problem and we need to work together to fix that problem. If that was the case, then why do we have all these small little countries in Africa everywhere? When it was been told, we have learned from history that the way for us to go further is to unify and make it big and look at each other as one. Mm. Not a, go by these smaller countries that these British and the French created. Mm. All right? They just drew the line. Yeah, they that. just drew the line based mm. on their own interests and they said, okay, this is your country. And now today we are proud to carry those you know, passports with us. There's nothing wrong with it, but I think if because that clearly says that Pan-Africanism actually probably came from America, mm-hmm. like you said, mm-hmm. all right? It wasn't on the African continent. Now today, the ideology of Pan-Africanism is trying to make Africa as a big one country where all of us would carry the same passport, where other black people from any part of the world can come and claim that citizenship. They can have a passport, they can live in work or do anything in any African country that is part of that union. And that uh, has a root in Pan-African, Pan-Africanism today. Mm-hmm. I call myself a Pan-African because I believe that the only way that we can get our branding back is, you know, we work together and then build a progressive society on the African continent. You know, I don't have to live in that progressive society. If I want to live in America, fine. But that does not mean that, you know, people who want to live in a place where everybody looks like them, they should be able to have that place mm-hmm. on the African continent. So... I think, you know, you could be right. Very right. Very true. Mm-hmm. Pan-Africanism can come from here. Yeah. I, Claire, yeah it, was, it was just people that were frustrated and just saying that it's always been an American initiative, a black American initiative, and it hasn't been reciprocated. It could be very true. It, 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 if you connect the dots, it definitely could be very true. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's circle back, man. Let's take this back to the beginning. Uh, we talked about, you talked about Kuta Kente and his story being from Gambia. Um like I think I told you earlier, I always thought that story of Roots was just a fictional story. I didn't know that it was based on anything real. So tell me like how real that story is and how it relates to, you know, your your people. Yeah, so um, the first Roots, actually many people would say it's actually fiction. Mm. But the second one, the newest one, the latest one that they made was the one that is more realistic. I haven't seen a new one. Yeah, so you should, you should see that. For sure. At the beginning, one, uh, one scene there where you know, when, uh, before Kunta was captured, his father, who actually, you know, navigated on the River Gambia with his board, at one point saw slave raiders were raiding. And his father tried to save, you know, I think he tried to do something to save that in, uh, victim who was being raided, by, captured by other African tribes. Mm-hmm. And then solo. So, the time of Kunta that was the case. And many African people go around and fuck, even make a living of that. Hunting people down, the most vulnerable ones, and then selling them to Europeans. And some of, or most of these people who do, who did it, ended up being sold by themselves. Oh, really? They got yeah, caught yeah. up anyway. You, you go around, you capture somebody, you take him. You know, let's say you you are a slave capturer. Okay, mm-hmm. you call you you go around, you go to a village, and you know you know sneak around and look for somebody to grab, and you grab that individual and put him on the horse and run away and take them to somewhere where you're going to sell it to a European. You get to that spot and trying to sell that kid, the European capture you yourself. Yeah. 
<laughs> take both of y'all. Man, you thought you know, was getting away so, with something. Yeah, there's stories of that, you know. Mm-hmm. So definitely, you know, Kunta uh, in that movie, it, it's showing that, you know, yeah. where these people try to do the same thing. But mm-hmm. his father was worried that his son is going to be captured one day. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, you can see that one of the reasons why the, the whole lawlessness it was a lawlessness actually mm. the movie is trying to tell you because before there was law there was nothing like that happening everybody was literally living according to that law mm-hmm. but as the king of mali lost control to that part of his empire mm-hmm. where most of his people lived he called them smartest people because the reason why he called the smartest people live in the river gambia area is most of these people that came like new settlers come to the river gambia they actually most of the skills that they came they're skilled people they could be skilled in peanut or rice cultivation you probably in fact were exposed to this some technology in it back home in timbuktu mm. so you've been sent to settle or you are part of the people moving from the west to the east i mean east to the west to settle in river gambia so you can grow this rice so by the time the king started losing control that was when the portuguese control in fact the portuguese played a huge role for the king of Mali to lose control of the West, which is Senegambia today, where Kunta Kinte came. Is that so? Is that in the movie? That part? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it's one of those. is in the movie. So the lawlessness began, and then that led to people going around and capturing people because there was no police policing around mm-hmm. to stop that from happening. Mm-hmm. Man, that's dope. Now talk about uh, Gambia modern day. Like when, when were you guys liberated? How did all that come about? We we were liberated in uh, 1965. We actually negotiated our independence from the from, British Empire. From British. Okay. Yes, Gambia and Senegal. One of the reasons why we're a different country is because the British and the French were literally negotiating between themselves which part of the territories, which countries or which lands they can control in Africa. So, in among themselves to avoid a war, like within themselves. Mm-hmm. They negotiated, you know, their own way of cutting certain part of the continent and giving each other certain part in exchange for certain part. Like the British, you know, gave, uh, sorry, the French gave Gambia to the British in exchange for, I think, Guinea. Mm. So, but um, the, the Gambia's border, borderline between Senegal and, and Gambia was made in 1888. The Boundary Commission came that was sent by the British Empire come and rule it out so 1888 then they said this is Gambia and this is Senegal but before and after 1888 there's always been rebellions against the British rule in the Gambia in fact there's one one of the most important war that we had with the British was called the Barra War of 1831 you can search it up it tells a lot Barra War of 1831 in fact made the British to take Gambia very seriously because a lot of British soldiers were killed in the Gambia in a rebellion that has to do with one a Mandingo guy walking into a bar that was controlled by the British army and demanding some rum. Well, he bought, I think they bought some rum and they drank, they got drunk, they went away and then they came. Because in those, in 1800s, the smaller Mandingo kingdoms were very well armed. So the British were very cautious of how they deal with them. They don't, yeah. they only negotiate, they don't force any power on them. For sure. In fact, 
these guys came and they demanded more rum and the, 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 the merchant said the bartender said you got to pay for it he said i don't have anything i, I just want you to give me for free because these guys were armed with musket and then the bartender refused and then they shot at the bartender and then they tried to the put british it. shot the bartender no the mandingo people shot oh. at the bar bartender the british bartender oh the british bar okay, yeah okay, okay okay so the british pulled a fort it's like a fortified huge mm-hmm. on the mouth of river gambia in 18 by 18 i think 1808 something okay. like that okay 1838 this fort was you know you know occupied by british army mm-hmm. the red coats very well armed red coats and their cannons were stationed there but with all that arm ammunition these two drunken guys created a problem whereby they killed the bartender and some of the british soldiers now the british ended up organizing uh, a, a retaliation to go after them in the in the town inside the kingdom which the agreement they had with the king was they can never cross certain lines they are what we call the ceded lines sure. the british during their control of the gambia they were put into a situation where they had to go by ceded lines yeah. the king will say this is a line that none of your troops can cross and the british have to go by because when they don't follow that they're gonna they're gonna pay a heavy price sure. and that's what happened so in trying to go look for these two men who killed their soldiers they crossed the ceded line mm. and that became huge catastrophe for them and they ended up losing more men than they expected in fact the fort that they occupied with their cannon they ended up retreating off getting right. their boat and get run away <laughs> they left the fort and went yeah and went away so in yeah. 1838 all right in mm-hmm. 1838 of course definitely many part of african continent were still under many controls of the european but in the gambia it was trouble so that was when that the british focused on trying to make sure that you know things like that never happen but it continues keeping happen 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 so the french said okay we're going to work together here the british and the french work together in many occasions to repel these rebellions mm. many occasions you've seen french and the british forces marching together to fight the african tribes mostly the mandingo kingdoms in those days okay. in the 1830s yeah. and it has to do with because they're trying to make sure that they keep the control over it so That's the way the difference between Gambia and Senegal came about mm-hmm. and Gambia being a in British colony and French, Senegal being a, a French colony but still today you know we still have that national identity that we built up from 1888 you know to 1965 when we kicked the British out completely and the British moved out to today so 1965 man, that's super recent like how did so what was that like that final life before 1965 was com- it's like jim crow mm. was like completely jim crow like yeah. maybe the only thing that maybe they could be even i don't think there was lynchings mm-hmm. okay like it would be in uh in the south but it's basically like controlled by the european power all the rest of the people they just have to do what they say so yeah so but also they also created a class many british colonies had a class where people in certain cities because when the british came they built a city that became the capital city most countries they come like nigeria lagos was built by the british when they first landed there mm-hmm. gambia banjul was built by the british when they first landed there and banjul actually have been built by the mandingo people when the british came they took over so they kind of like discourage the mandingos from me because mandingos never want to be with the british at all mm-hmm. we never want to even today 
well maybe different today we love black, white people <laughs> <laughs> y'all still love them white folks man. <laughs> excuse me but in history we never want to be controlled by any exact For sure. power yeah so that being the case the gambia and senegal you know we became excuse me our own different countries in a way that was basically the foundation was laid by the british and the life there was literally live what they wanted to do you know it's literally controlled by every, independence completely means that we want to control our own institutions we want to be able to teach our own kids how to learn this For sure. you know we want to be able to operate our own economy we want to be able to have our even even our own image on our own money mm-hmm. you know get rid of the queen's image we want to have our own national flag we want to have our own national anthem so we made all of this by our own self in 1965, we presented this to the queen and said, we want you, you, you know, administration to go away and give it up to us. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we took, so literally from 1965 to today, whatever we have going on, mm-hmm. we are doing it on our own self. Right. You know? That's dope. There's a lot and of So things. it was, uh, so was it like you, you had a, a king already or like a, a president? We have a president. So we have a, 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 a basic democratic system where people vote. Mm-hmm. We have districts, voting districts. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, pretty much pretty similar to the system in America. It's all English law. You know, at the end of the day, you know, very connected to it. So districts and people vote in democracy where they select certain representatives. Right. We have a president that you know we do election every five year, and um, wh- whoever means the major simple majority, fifty one percent, you you regarded as the winner. Mm-hmm. So from nineteen sixty five to today, we've had but. None of these presidents were perfect, you know. They're like people, leaders who took over after colonial power. They mm-hmm. try to use the same trick the colonial uses, masters use to divide and rule, so they can keep themselves over us. Mm-hmm. So many African countries are still under this same system that they've been going through Word. for a long time. Yeah. Well, Sonny, but you spit out a lot of knowledge, man, and I appreciate all that, man. Like it's it's amazing that you can just recall all these things and spit it out so fluently. I'm so glad to be here, and I think um, this kind of conversations are very needed. You know, and um, we as young people today, we need this. We For need sure. these conversations. How did you become this knowledgeable? Has this been just a lifelong like it's been inside of you to know these things, or was it? You grew up in a in a household where all these stories were told to you, or you studied. Like, how did you acquire all this knowledge that you have? So, uh, a little bit about you know my interest in history, especially African history, has to do with my culture myself. You know, you know, I I'm I came from the Mandingo people, and Mandingo our culture is not too complicated, but we we build it up in a way that every last name have a meaning mm-hmm. and have a reason of existing. So every single Mandingo last name, including mine, which translates conflict resolve, Kuya Te, it's mm-hmm. a combination of two Mandingo words. Mm-hmm. So we, I belongs to uh, what we call a, 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 a section because my last name played a huge role in fact, today, a lot of Mandingo people will give us the credit of we being the major mobilizing team that mobilized people to stand against the enslavement of the Africans 
in the 8th century. Wow. So the Mandingo identity came out of a struggle to stop capturing people mm-hmm. by the Arabs, yeah. which definitely was helped by all the African tribes. Where? So the conflict... So uh, your name goes back to the 8th My century. last name, Kuyate, goes back to that. Wow. All the the people to- who came, who said, hey, look, all of you smaller people, you have differences, but you got to get rid of that and come together mm-hmm. and resolve that conflict and unify it and fight against a major enemy who is enslaving you. Because in those days, castration, you know, oh, castration yes, was, yes. yeah, it was the main way of like, uh, uh, like pretty much that's, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was like the major fear that every man in those days would have. Because when you got caught by a slave raider, that's, that's the number one thing, thing they, they do. do. Oh, my God. So, that's huge deal. Yes, it is. It's everything to a man. That's, so, that's your life. Yes. You might as well die. So, the Kuyates... <laughs> Consciously, yeah. ...have been victims of this, mm-hmm. some of their family members. Mm-hmm. So, they found a way to create a system by unifying the people to build a formidable force to stop anything that has to do with anybody who's doing this. That's when we came around... In 1255, 1255 was when the war happened. But before 1255, the mobilization had been happening. We go around from small city kingdom to small city kingdom to small city kingdom that existed. You can count them in hundreds. We talked to them by using poetry and music. Like the, the string. Herb. African the herb. herb. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We actually... I believe, in fact, because, you know, African herb, the herb is found in the pharaohs used to have the herb. Yeah, in, in Egypt. Okay, so we, sure. that's our major symbol. And this goes mm-hmm. back to like 8th, 9th century. Yeah. So the Kuyatris were the one, the only people roaming around with the herb, herb mm-hmm. and they're making tunes out of it, but also speaking to people. So mm-hmm. they were able to capture people's attention mm-hmm. when they play the music and they talk, people listen to them. And that's when they were able to convince a lot of smaller, small kingdoms to come together and unify to form a formidable army that led to the formation of the Mandingo Kingdom. Mm. And this Mandingo Kingdom expanded to Mali Empire. Mm. Now the Mandingo, Manden, when you say Manden, it means the land today, present day West Africa. Mm-hmm. It was called Manden. Mm. We call the land Manden. Now we don't call the people specific name because we don't even know who are these, what, what like ethnicities they are. Yeah. But because we're so desperate to generalize mm-hmm. everything, we say Manden. So Ka means the people. Manden Ka means the, the people, people of Manden. Wow. So that come to be a Mandingo. Mm-hmm. So the pe- so when you say Mandingo, you literally mean anybody of different ethnicity or different small tribe, unifying them to be together as a one person, one ethnic identity. That's a Mandingo people. The Kuyates did that. When we did that, now they give us the title, Conflict Resolve. Wow. Kuya and because of this identity now, we kept that. We became, ended up being the historians. We kept the history of the empire, the kingdom, the empire. We coronated kings. We played huge roles in, uh, uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, in the administrations of the king when you come to like advices that they get from internal affairs between ethnicities, different tribes, and all that. So we literally make the king to be able to govern the people. So because we kept that culture, for a long period of time, even today, when you come out with a last name Kuyate, history is where your interest is. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. I've always been built in interest in history and I've lived around people who've always relied and in fact made a living mm. of oral history. Sure. They go to places and tell people their story, they get paid for it. Mm -hmm. That's my ancestry. You call me, you have a naming ceremony. My grandfather used to do that. My great grandfather, that's just, you call them, they come, they can tell you who were the founders of your town, who and who and who and who followed who, who gave birth to who, who is the father of who, what was happening when who this individual was born, all of that. We literally memorize all of it in our head. Mm. And that is where, because without information and knowledge information like that being shared from one place to the other like the the media that we were the media of the empire mm -hmm. all right without that one information was not able to transport so we had the opportunity to navigate around all over the empire mm -hmm. and we are protected anywhere we go every citizen of the empire of mali will lay his hand to protect me wow. because of my last name because they know i'm very important when you come to like you know this, we're talking about history here, not sure. today. Yeah, yeah. But when you come to like the history of Mali Empire, when you have somebody in last name Kuyate, what comes into your mind? Hey, these guys are very important when you come to you know keeping the record and our history, mm -hmm. because they memorize it. They don't necessarily need to write it on paper, all right. But the idea of memorizing something came from somebody who writes something on a paper and memorize it in his head. So without the paper, he can narrate it, and that's. Uh, uh, skills that we learn in Timbuktu too. Mm. Today, in the Islamic world, the the, uh, the the smartest among the Muslims will be regarded as somebody who memorized the whole Quran mm -hmm. in the head. Mm -hmm. Now you can you don't need to open up the book to be able to read or explain what the God was saying in certain in phrases. Same thing goes to the Christian Bible too. If you memorize the whole Bible in your head, you regard it as somebody. So that was where the culture came from. That's dope. We use that to spread the knowledge around empire but so that's that's in your dna that's in my dna yeah. and all, another thing about it is when they when the portuguese came first when they started like conquering us mm -hmm. when your last name is Quiare, you are in danger mm. so a lot of us also had to like change their last name wow. to different last names because you guys were marked yes we're marked as people are very valuable For sure. to the conqueror yeah yeah and you i mean you're valuable to the conqueror because you're valuable to your people yes so the conqueror literally goes after us. The conqueror actually gives us a name. Mm. He called it Griot. Mm. Griot. If you type it up, you will see. Oh, G-R-I-O-T. Yes. Oh. We're the Griots. Oh. Is that when that first came? That term came from them? Yes. So the Griots, the French and the Portuguese, because it's a Latin word, they gave us the name. We're the one they call the Griots. Wow. So there's no word, there, no other thing that name refers. It refers to the Quietes of the West Africa. They call them wow. Jali. Now, when you come to... In Mandinka, Mandinka would call us Jeli. Jeli means Jeli, blood. Mm -hmm. We regard it as the blood of the blood that runs within Mali. Mm -hmm. When you f kill us, means you are stopping the flow of the blood of Mali. Without us, the expansion and the progress of the empire will not be. Because it's like the media, traveling media. Mm -hmm. We share information from one point to the other. We travel. We don't sit. We we are all over the place, mm -hmm. and we carry the musical string with us mm. melody yes so yes that's, that's us that's the amazing Greeks. i came from the griots and my both sides of my family like none of my family line is not a griot in yes. fact one of the reasons why to be a griot you have to come from the line of griots mm. it's not today it will be regarded as a discrimination but in mandinka culture we're not even allowed to intermarry with any other 
certain groups wow. because to all to them they think when we intermarry with other people then we will lose the focus that's a possibility yes yeah so because we, I'm a very proud creole I mean history is very important me to me without history we are dead that's a fact I mean we're freaking walking zombies yeah, here we in America are, we, we are, don't know who we, we are we are dead like yeah. we don't make no sense mm-hmm. if we don't we are not able to keep track of what we did yesterday. <laughs> Period. Because yeah. as human beings, we cannot see even what's coming in one second. You have enough time. No, we got it. We got it. We got it. We cannot see what's coming in one second. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's very important for us to keep what passed the last second. Mm-hmm. So if we are not keeping the what passed last second, and we also cannot see what's coming in one second, who are we? Dead people. That's why we use what passed last second to be able to predict what's coming in the next second. Mm. And if you can't predict what is coming, you're going to see yourself drown to death. Mm. Because the life we live on, we live in, is nothing but a struggle. From the day we were born, we came out of crying. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know the symbol of crying. It means not sorrowful. Nothing is joyful when you cry. Mm-hmm. Something is wrong. Mm-hmm. So it means life, something is already wrong with life when we got out. So we walk, we spend our whole life trying to make it right. Mm-hmm. And the only way, the only trick or technology we use to make it right is we use yesterday, the history. Mm-hmm. Yes. So in, in, my, in, in my culture, that is where that connection is. We don't, we, history is very important to us to make it very sharp. Yo, I can dig it, bro. That's dope. That is amazing, like. I didn't even know that existed. I didn't know the the origin of that word. Um, I thought it just meant storyteller, but now that you've broken it down to me, Quit. like storyteller, that doesn't do it justice, obviously, but you have done it a great justice, bro. So I appreciate you, man, for sharing that. Thank with you for me, having bro, me. Sharing that with the audience, man. Um, I end every episode with the Fab Five, five questions I ask every guest. So first question, um, what is your favorite music genre? It's a two-part question. What's your favorite music genre? I go back to the string. I like the strings. Mm. Yes. Is there a certain artist in particular that plays the strings that just made you fall in love with it? Or is it something that you've always been in love with? Well, with, with, when you come to the string, it changes. You know, mm. people, a lot of it depends on the skill of the. I enjoy every bit of every player, mm. you know. Strings like the African herb, of course, and then the guitar. I like all of it. Mm. So if you play right now, my favorite African string artist is called Tumani Jubate. Tumani Jubate, in fact, he comes to Portland okay. every year once. He plays the, the string. And um, I love his music a lot. His son is taking over Siddiqui. They're from Mali. Well, Tumani is originally from Gambia, but because of his historical connection to Mali, so he immigrated and settled in Mali. So now he holds a Malian citizenship, you know, of Gambian origin. Mm-hmm. It's two different countries. Mm-hmm. But he's one of the major international string players in the world today. That's dope. Yeah, so That's I, awesome. I listen to him. Question number two, is there a movie that has affected your outlook on life? Yeah, Kunta Kinte Dos. Kunta mm-hmm. Kinte is one of, you know, those movies that I grew up watching because mm-hmm. it, they played on the national TV. It's like a serious movie. Oh, they play Roots back in the day? Yeah, at, yeah. At back home? Yeah, okay. they played, it's like every Saturdays, I think every Wednesdays and every Saturdays <laughs> for like how many years? 
probably for more than five years mm-hmm. on the national TV. So, mm. yeah. so that was like the only education I had on slavery, basically. Yes, yeah. when you come to like the presence of the Africans outside of Africa. outside of yeah, yes, for sure. When you start to feel overwhelmed, how do you de-stress? I stop, take a deep breath, mm-hmm. maybe like one minute breath, and then maybe if I can drink some water, mm-hmm. a lot of it if I need to, you know, and do all the things that, you know, pleasures me, like smoke some weed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wrong with that. You in Oregon, you good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't drink. I never drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, never intend to. But I have fun, you know, smoking weed Word. when I'm, well, stressed out. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel relaxed and refreshed. That's what's up. Question number four. What book would you recommend for everyone to read right now? The book I would recommend for everyone to read. Well, you know, uh First of all, I've been really reading more of like business books. So I don't know if uh, that will be... Whatever, a- <laughs> whatever inspires you, whatever you think, you know what I mean? That's going to be valuable for, for the listeners. Yeah, I think uh, one of the books that, you know, I think would be or could be valuable to my listeners would be... Uh, one of the business books that I read today, uh, recently, I don't even know because I, all of these books that I'm reading, I've, I have not even finished them yet. So mm. I, 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 it's one of those <laughs> things, you know. But you know, check on uh, Chinua Achebe's writings, uh, the uh, Gods and Chinua Achebe, okay. Gods are not to be blamed. So mm. uh, Chinua Achebe, Gods are not to be blamed. Yeah, okay. Gods are not to be blamed. It's uh, African literature. And we all grew up reading his books, you know, he, mm. you know, write a lot of interesting stuff about, you know, we as the people and what, you know, our history and our present, mm. you know, has to do with each other. Chinua Achebe, he's a great guy, a great author. You know, there's a lot of other books that he wrote that, you know, are celebrated all around the world. But God's Not To Be Blamed is one of them. So, last question. Mm-hmm. What message do you want communicated at your eulogy? The message that I will want people to communicate when I am gone is uh, would be a message of building communities Mm. and the message of understanding that the life we live today and for years that have you know happened, it's all about branding, buying, and selling. Period. If you miss in this, you cannot catch up in any other thing. You know, if you don't know how much you can sell and how much you you are buying and, you know, how much, you know, of yourself you can make people to come and invest in you. You're not keeping track of all of this. I think you... You 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 messing up with a messing up with a lot of things, mm. and I think to when you go back to black people as in general, I think this is where we messed up. Mm. You know, we you know need to understand that we cannot build a power without the wealth. Mm. We cannot have respect without the wealth. That's the life we live in. We cannot have you know all of this if we don't have the wealth. Okay, so it means that we should be able to 
buy and sell but whatever we are selling we make our own prices we should not let anybody to give us a price you know so we when we live like this as an individual same thing you know as a community you know same thing as a country you know and as a continent as a group of people too and that's the way to go so i think that will be the communication that I want my people to communicate and to let make the people understand the building communities and be able to buy and sell within that community and expand it out and making rebranding yourself in a way that people outside can come and invest in your community. You know, uh, I think that's the you know, way to go. Word, I feel it, man. It's kind of like a uh, rest in peace, uh, neighborhood Nip Nipsey Nipsey Hustle. Yeah, like that's what he was all about. There you go, building his uh building up his community. Yeah, buying up property, fixing it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and just he was gonna do it before it got gentrified. Yeah, you know, cause somebody gonna do it. So you can do it and take care of your own. You yeah. let the white folks come in and you you be mad. Yeah. You know, so you can come in and, and employ your own people and build up your own community. Mm-hmm. So um, I think a lot of people have woken up to that uh, with his untimely passing. And hopefully we as black folks in America and abroad, the whole diaspora, that we wake up and just start doing that. Yep. Taking care of each other, building up our communities, like you said. Mm-hmm. And I like what you talk about branding. Yeah. We got to rebrand. Yes. We got to rebrand. We do. Yeah. We do. We do. We do. Like, you can be as wealthy as you ever think. You go to China, the Chinese will not treat you right. Because the image the Chinese are saying about Af- black people is the image America or the Western world saw them. That's a whole episode right there. Our image. Like, man, you, man, bruh. <laughs> what we, what the media puts out about us and what we feed into. Mm-hmm. Like some of the stuff that we're doing in 2019, that's the same image that was manufactured decades ago. Yeah. But we feed into it Mm -hmm. because we think that's the fastest way or the quickest way to get however much, you know, a quick buck. Yeah. And it's like, all right, that's cool in the short term. But like you say, in the long term branding and on a global scale, Mm -hmm. what value does that have? It doesn't sound like it has a lot of value. Well, it it does have a value. What the value it have is... You know, it's it, when we have a good branding and we feel it ourselves, then we will be able to make our own market and our own pricing. Like the only one. I'm reason, just saying, our current branding, it doesn't have much value. No, as far it as, doesn't. Yeah. It, it doesn't. It doesn't because one of the reasons why Africa being the land where we have all the materials, all the natural resources that we have, but Everything. still we cannot. You know, uh, we 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 running around. Most Africans are running around, leaving wealth back home and looking for paper money in America and in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know. And most, you know, African-Americans or people of African descent are living in countries where, you know, you know, they are living like in a destitute situation. And if they had to go back to uh, Africa where all the materials that the specific like here in America, mm-hmm. we've seen boxes in everything from mm-hmm. the cars to the electronics to everything, you know, materials. Boxes, one of the major, you know, exporters of boxes are African countries. Of what? Boxes. Bu- bauxite or I don't know bauxite I don't know bauxite what's that B A U X I T E it's I a mineral that is it's a mineral okay. yeah it's a mineral okay. it's the one that aluminium is made out of okay, okay. so most of these hard minerals so that the, comes from well everything comes from Africa yeah. yeah yeah so with all that countries that have that in African country African mm-hmm. continent mm-hmm. they don't control that market right they not they don't in fact uncontrolled the materials that mine those corporations things. right yeah, yeah corporations too sometimes not even a corporation it's just one you know family from india or from china coming and build up something there and control everything 
and the people don't even care. Wow. They don't even follow up to find out who are these people, what are, what benefit are they having, mm-hmm. what can they do to help our community. Word. You know, so all of that are lacking behind because, you know, you know, we 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 we, we don't have the branding that tell us that we value. Mm. So we have a value, and that value should be controlled and dictated by us ourselves, nobody else. That's it. You know, so one of the reasons why today. You know, you can be from Nigeria, you know, you go to, you know, like the poorest country in the world. Nigeria is one of the wealthiest country in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to the poorest country in the world because you are black and nobody cares about you. Mm. You know, they treat you wrong. So that has to do with because the brand that you carry, that your skin color, mm-hmm. which is much of it is dictated by people that are not even white people. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to overcome that. And it's a it's a real issue we can't skirt around it so let's start building yeah we start doing what we got to do to reprint we do word appreciate you brother thank you appreciate Appreciate y'all for listening once again it's the socks and sandals podcast where society culture history and religion collide and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews i'll let y'all next week grace and peace